listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. And this week is time for a quiz. Uh, last time, the last couple of times, we've had some really interesting quizzes. They've been super fun. Hopefully you've been able to hear those. I, I think this quiz is very applicable to what we're all experiencing right now in the world. So I'm I'm pretty excited about what's about to happen for however long this takes. <laughs> so Rachel, uh, take it away. What are you what are you stumping us about? So my trivia challenge today, I wanted to do something super applicable to our lives at present. And I, I read a few articles early on in the the whole lockdown saga that sort of highlighted the complicated relationship that Christians and plagues have had through the years <laughs> that this is this is nothing new for the church what we're going through right now and so I took a deep dive back through history and uh, dug up a few tidbits that hopefully will stump you guys but not too badly today so I hope you're ready <laughs> for some church it history go either way <laughs> and epidemiology at the same time <laughs> <laughs> um, before we begin, though, I need to give a huge shout out to one Lyman Stone, who recently authored an excellent article for foreignpolicy.com entitled, In Coronavirus Epidemic, Christianity Has Ancient Lessons. So while not everything in the quiz that follows came directly from that article, the thinking in it really helped me shape and organize my thoughts on the subject. So I want to give credit where credit is due. And if you haven't yet heard <laughs> of him... Lyman is amazing, and I'm going to call him by his first name, partly because it's a wonderful name and partly because I want to pretend that we're good friends. Um, he's a research <laughs> fellow at the Institute for Family Studies, an advisor with demographic intelligence, an LCMS Lutheran, and a demographics rock star, and his tweets are about the only thing I've missed when I left Twitter. So if you're on Twitter, <laughs> check him out at Lyman Stone you know KY. The KY is for Kentucky, Kentucky his home state. And if you aren't on Twitter, stay away. It's not worth <laughs> it. Um, we'll also, I'll, I'll also make sure there's a link to the article that I mentioned above uh, in our program notes so you can check it out for yourself. So with that, uh, huge mega kudos out of the way. Are you guys ready? Yeah. All right. First question is more of an essay question. So try to get make it brief. You each get one answer. So... Oh, no. Epidemics were nothing new in the time of Christ or the early church, but what was new then and what is still radical today was the way Christians responded to them, uh, shaped by the words and by the example of our Lord Jesus. So which of Jesus' words and actions do you think, again, this is an essay question, have done the most to impact the unique Christian approach to sickness and sick people? So you each get one. Well, the one, um, the the one when when you were what naked in prison and you clothed me and when you gave me water to drink. I'm totally mixing up words, but that one. Um, <laughs> the whole caring right, Matthew for your neighbors. Matthew 25. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> yes, that one. Very uh -huh. nice. <laughs> caring for your neighbors, uh, no matter the situation, and and not always even knowing that you're doing it. I'm gonna go with the lepers. And mm. that he didn't, uh, because he didn't run away from them or stay away from them. Instead, he actually um, 
interacted with them and healed them. I was going to sort of piggyback off of that and say anytime he healed on the Sabbath, sort of going against Mm. what, Mm. and not to say don't break the law right now, because that's not, that's not what I'm saying right now. (laughs) Not the takeaway. However, that's not the takeaway. The takeaway is um, Jesus was not going to be bound by things that were going to prevent him from doing his father's work. Does that, I don't know if that made any sense, but that's for sure. It wasn't going to, it wasn't going to stop him from doing that. And I would add that he wasn't afraid to touch unclean things. Um, you know, like when he put his hand on the, the beer of the, the widow's dead son in Nain. you know, th- so we've got, you know, at the very beginning of Christianity is it, everything is based on Jesus who took a very different approach to sickness, to death, to untouchables and uncleanness than the culture around him. And that shaped Christianity then, and it does today too. So I hope that we'll just bear that in mind as we go through the rest of this history. So as I mentioned, epidemics were a fairly regular part of life in the Roman world. The empire was really super connected. The urban centers were super crowded. I mean, it was a perfect storm for sickness. And therefore, early church history is really closely entwined with the history of epidemiology. So closely, and here comes your question, that one devastating plague from AD 250 to 252 is actually named after a church father. Do you know which one? Oh, I just read about this. And I can't remember. So is the sickness itself named after the church father? Yes, it's called the plague of such and so. I think I know, but I'm not going to say it because the only reason I know it is because my husband, before we started recording, was like spouting off about church plagues (laughs) and history and church plagues, church history and plagues. (laughs) You know, that's actually legit. So what's your guess, Brie? What is it? Uh, Justin, Justinius, Justinian, the plague of Justinius. I don't know. Sorry, Matt and Brie. I I don't listen to my husband half the time. Cyprian of Carthage. Yes. I wrote a paper on him. Cyprian, Cyprian is pronounced both ways. Um, So, and it's not named for him because he started the plague. It's named for him because he and through him, his um, biographer gave us the best description of the plague. So like, oh, it's Um, that plague that Cyprian wrote about. So yeah, here's a here's a quote. Afterwards, there broke out a dreadful plague and this excessive destruction of a hateful disease invaded every house in succession of the trembling populace, carrying off day by day with abrupt attack to numberless people, everyone from his own house. All were shuddering, fleeing, shunning the contagion, impiously exposing their own friends, not exposing like taking off their clothes, exposing like leaving them in the street to die. Um, <laughs> As if with the exclusion of the person who was sure to die of the plague, one could exclude death itself also. Skipping forward, no one regarded anything besides his cruel gains. Now, the good Bishop of Carthage at this point was noted for encouraging his people not only to take care of each other during this plague, like maybe church look after the fellow church people, but also said, 
that he might become perfect who would do something more than the publican or the heathen who overcoming evil with good and practicing a clemency which was like the divine clemency loved even his enemies. This was a time when Christians were like regarded as kind of not very cool. So during this, this plague, they reached out not only to the people within their community, but outside their community and really started to make a name for themselves that way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, as mentioned, the natural Greco-Roman tendency during a plague could be summed up in the immortal words of Monty Python, run away, run away. <laughs> <laughs> and even, even Rome's most famous physician, Galen, which you may have heard of, during one outbreak, fled Rome for his country villa. Thanks, Doc. Um, <laughs> but Christians were noted for their care of the sick. And this wasn't like sticking IV lines in them. This was simply like giving them food and water and a place to sleep it off. And that that itself, that basic nursing care that the church provided alongside public services, like, I don't know, burying dead bodies, which seems like a no-brainer to us today, um, but wasn't back then, had a huge impact on the mortality rates in the cities where Christians were uh, Hmm. abundant. So next question. According to sociologist Rodney Stark in his book, The Triumph of Christianity, he says it is, quote, entirely plausible that Christian care would have reduced the death count by how much? Half? Yeah, that's a good guess. 50%. What? What? Well, that's... he's. I'll go with 50. You're actually, you're actually very close to right. In one quote, he does give 50%. In the quote I was just mentioning, he says up to two thirds. It's possible that early Christian nursing care reduced the mortality rates of plagues by at least half and possibly up to two thirds. That's incredible. Just simple stuff. Love your neighbors. And suddenly people aren't dying as fast. And that's great. Moving forward a bit, plagues didn't end with the fall of Rome. So we go up to Luther's time, and in 1527, a devastating outbreak outbreak of bubonic plague, the same thing that caused the Black Death, hit Wittenberg. Uh, Martin Luther and his pregnant superhero wife, Lord Katie, (laughs) resisted calls to flee the city and decided to stay and minister to the sick. All right, this is the saddest question on this quiz. So what terrible price did they pay for this decision? Did she she lose her baby? baby? Did they lose her baby? Yeah, that's got to be it. Well, the baby was born, but because her mother was exposed to the Black Death while she was in utero, she was sickly from the start, and she died at eight months old. Oh. Um, Katie writes... Here the plague is dead and buried. However, it seemed as if the terrible scourge had marked the child even before she was born. After eight months, the sweet little Elizabeth said goodbye to her father and her mother to go to Christ, passing through death into life. And that just broke my heart to realize that they chose to stay where they needed to be to serve the people, you know, and their flock, but that they lost something precious because of it. Yeah. So... However, okay, grab your tissues, whatever you need. What? Oh, I thought that was the sad one. There's more. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. That was a sad one. Just dry your, dry your eyes. Yeah. Just get your face ready for the <laughs> It gets better. Okay. It gets okay. better. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. I, I thought you were bracing us for the next part. Okay. 
Got it. Any no, no, no. We have we have passed the low point of this okay. trivia challenge, you guys. It doesn't okay. get any worse than what I just read you. Um, oh, good. Her paper. Give myself a paper cut in my yeah. eyeball. <laughs> no paper cuts on eyeballs. But my eyes are dry now, so it's fine. Oh, good. So even though this tragic event left a lasting scar on Dr. Martin and Lord Katie's family, and yes, I do now refer to her as Lord Katie every time I talk about her. I'm feeling that. The same plague gave the church a great gift that we are using even today. And I'm referring here to Luther's tract, whether one may flee from a deadly plague, which is uh, you know, a, a cumbersome title, but a very useful topic. So have you seen that quote floating around that's attributed to Luther? Yeah. The one about oh, fumigating? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yes. That came from this, this quote, this, uh, this tract. And so we're getting good use out of it even today. Mm-hmm. It says, then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine and take it and go look up the quote. It's great. If you just look up Luther fumigate, you'll find it because he didn't use that I'll, word a whole lot i think <laughs> but outside of that body of <laughs> although lord katie may have had to fumigate the luther house every yeah. once in a while after all of the rowdy students came through yeah. <laughs> oh, man. but the beautiful as beautiful as that quote is though it doesn't quite answer the question in luther's title to get the full answer you kind of need to read the whole essay um so i'm going to put it to you the question he was looking at is whether one may flee from a deadly plague. What do you think Luther's ultimate answer was? Yes or no? It depends. Both. The good, the I, good I both think that and is Luther's what his answer. answer was. I think he said, <laughs> here are some cases where you can and here are cases where you can't. Um, and it, it depends on your situation whether or not you can. Well said. Yeah. So he That's said, yes, Luther you can flee a plague. plague. <laughs> <laughs> those christian freedoms he's he said basically the fifth commandment does apply to you too you shall not murder Mm -hmm. (laughs) means don't put yourself in harm's way if you don't have to but he said you can flee the plague so long as you are and i'm going to put it in modern parlance here uh so long as you are not an essential person uh so who do you think was an essential person in luther's mind and he did give us a list in this essay Pastors, mm-hmm. doctors, butchers. Ooh, butchers. Did you say makers? butchers? Um, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Governors. Maybe the people that um, deal with the dead. I don't know what they would be called in that day, but the ones who would deal with burying. Yeah. Morticians. Let's see. How many more are you looking for? Are we? Is there a, are we a even large right category we're missing? <laughs> I, you guys are on the right track, but you've missed a key element here. Oh, there's only um, one answer. So I'll no, no, no. no there's no. I've got half a page of answers. So buckle in, ladies. <laughs> here, here is Luther's list of essential personnel for a plague: those who are engaged in a spiritual ministry, such as preachers and pastors; mm-hmm. all those in public office, such as mayors, judges, and the like. Oh yeah. A servant should not leave his master, nor a maid her mistress. Again, a master should not desert his servant or a lady her maid unless suitable provision for their care has been made somewhere. Likewise, fathers and mothers are bound by God's love law to serve and help their children and children mm-hmm. their fathers and mm-hmm. mothers. Likewise, 
paid public servants such as city physicians, city clerks, and constables. Uh, in the case of children who are orphaned, guardians or close friends are under obligation either to stay with them or to arrange diligently for other nursing care for their sick friends. Yes, no one should dare leave his neighbor unless there are others who will take care of the sick in their stead and nurse them. So if you aren't a spiritual or civic leader, a worker, a boss, a parent, a child, a doctor, a bureaucrat, a police officer, or the friend of a sick person, and if none of your neighbors needs your help, then you're free to flee the plague. Got that? <laughs> so pretty much Loud and clear, next Marty. to nobody. Got it. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> okay. You're going to have to, you'll cut out this part in a moment when you edit, but give me a moment because I got to go turn off my rice. <laughs> rice, we're taking a rice break. Don't cut this out because this is a great song. And when I become famous, it's going to be worth a million dollars. And think of all the royalty you'll get. Rice break, going to take a rice break. Rice break, going to take a break. I hope I don't burn my house down. Because I'm checking the rice and it's a rice break. You have to keep going. She's not back yeah. yet. Rice break, it's a rice break. Got to stir it to the bottom so it doesn't stick. It's a rice break, and I'm good. Welcome back. Oh, <laughs> oh hi, Erin. That's going to be a, there, yeah, there's a natural break there. It's going to be fine. That was fantastic. <laughs> oh, there is no way that's not getting published. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> Hashtag okay. rice break. Okay. So, rice break over. Yeah. We are on to question seven then. So we see from earliest times that Christians have been on the front lines of caring for victims of epidemics. Uh, and sometimes they've been even slightly ahead of the front lines, which didn't always set well with those around them. So let's move from 16th century Wittenberg to 18th century Boston, uh, where an anonymous person hurled a small bomb through the window of Protestant pastor Cotton Mather, who has perhaps the best name ever. So why did Cotton Mather get a bomb chucked at his head? And it, it's, a, it's related to a, a plague or an epidemic, I'm assuming. Yes, it is. What was year he housing this? people somewhere? This, this was in 18th century Boston in 17... Oh, shoot. I didn't write down the, the date. 1771-ish, let's say. Okay. Prior to the revolution. Mm -hmm. I say smallpox. Maybe, unless it, they thought you were right. Was spreading smallpox. Smallpox blankets. He was selling smallpox them. Blankets. Not quite. Oh. Kind of the opposite of that. What was, was brand new at the people, time that people weren't them real sure about? Vaccinations. Yes. Whoa! He got on the wrong side of that day and age's anti-vaxxing crowd. Oh, boy. Because he was an early <laughs> proponent of the smallpox vaccine. Yes. And I'm not saying, I'm not making any statement about today's anti-vaxxers. Just saying it's been a thing since the beginning a suspicion there. And so even though smallpox inoculation had been common in places like, I don't know, uh, Turkey, India, West Africa, you know, for a long time, Europe and uh, America were kind of slow to try it out. But when they did, they needed some like 
you know, trusted public voices to really get people on board. And Cotton Mather was an early adopter who really encouraged people to get out and get the smallpox vaccine. And sure enough, when they did, smallpox mortality in Boston went down to almost nothing um, in just a few years. So he did great work, you know, taking his role as a pastor, as a respected voice in the community and uh, getting out in front of a public health crisis there. But there were a few people, including the guy who checked that bomb, which didn't go off, thank goodness, uh, <laughs> who objected to him acting in that way. Yikes. Wow. So are we ready to head back to Lutheranism land? Of, of course. Oh, yes. Why wouldn't we? I'm always. I know. Well, because we don't have any Cotton Mathers in our in our <laughs> list of of great pastor theologians, <laughs> but we'll fast forward again to 1849. This time to the historical heart of LCMS Lutheranism in America, CFW Walther St. Louis. Of course, that was the year 1849 when approximately one tenth of the population, including Walther's own mother-in-law Christiana Bunger died from what disease? So that's your question. What disease did they die of? Well, what year is this? Typhoid. 1849. I'm guessing early, typhoid. That's Spanish flu. Um, yeah, dysentery. I'm going to say dysentery or rickets. <laughs> I don't Wait, know. Which one? You, those are Either. not, I don't think those are the same. They're not. I'm okay. Just, well, I'll, it can't be choices? rickets because rickets is caused by a vitamin D deficiency, not by a oh. virus. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> Dysentery it is. Sarah, you got one? I picked something from Oregon Trail and you're probably on the right track. Go with cholera. <laughs> Try cholera. cholera. That's my cholera. second choice. Second choice for the win. It was a oh, cholera man. epidemic. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> and it should be noted that Pastor Walther stayed in town, unlike the physician Galen, uh, throughout the epidemic and continued to minister to the saints at Trinity Lutheran Church. Mm -hmm. I have not found any sermons, at least none translated in English, that he preached that summer, but I bet they were really uh, quite potent because he was doing a lot of funerals that year. And I want to uh, another shout out to Warren Schmidt at the Lutheran Heritage Center for the article Summer of Death 170 Years Ago that uh, sort of put me onto that little hmm. uh, interesting part of our church history. So we're almost back. We started way back in the time of Christ and we've moved forward, but we've got one more stop on our epidemic world tour. But before we get there, want <laughs> to stop tour and of death. <laughs> sure. We're gonna name no, our of tour of death. life in the midst of death. <laughs> okay. Okay. She makes it out really fast. Okay. Let's stop and take a moment, and I have a question more generally. What is one thing that we, as a church, in America at least, are doing now and this present crisis that would have been unthinkable in all the previous plagues and epidemics we've talked about? Online church. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> that and with obvious. it... <laughs> No, Luther didn't have the option to live stream his sermons. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Say the question again one more time. Okay, what are we doing now that they could have done 
but that would have been unthinkable in most of the previous epidemics we've talked about. We as in the church or like as society? Yeah, in the church. That would have been unthinkable. I'm stumped. Hmm. Okay, I'm going to, to answer this question, I'm going to go back to Lyman's article where he writes, this brings me to one of the more controversial elements of historic Christian plague ethics. We don't cancel church. Oh. Mm-hmm. Luther, Walther, Cyprian, Cyprian, none of them would have pr- probably done that. At least we have no record of them doing that. Now, it's worth noting that Lyman was writing this from Hong Kong, where his wife is a missionary. Uh, and obviously, here in the U.S., we can and we have canceled church, though not everyone is happy about it. I'm, I'm not that happy about it. But it's, it's fine. Really, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. However, however, this move, though very unusual in the history of the church, is not without some precedent, even even within the American Lutheran Church. So, at what other time in American religious history did large numbers of congregations refrain from holding services on Sunday? 1918 Spanish flu. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, ma'am. Yes, (laughs) ma'am's plural. Yeah, that that was one time in history where we can look back and we can say for, because at that time, germ theory had become a thing where it hadn't been before. And we understood how large groups of people could do as much harm as good. And so we really saw that response in 1918. So I've got a cool little tidbit here that I got to share with you. Please indulge me. Okay, so my grandfather, the Reverend George Mossel, was a seminarian at Concordia Seminary during the 1918 flu epidemic. Wow. And we happen to have some letters that he wrote home to his fiancee, Clara, um, (laughs) at the time. And so I'll read you a couple of firsthand eyewitness accounts of Spanish flu on the Concordia Seminary campus. On October 16th, 1918, he wrote, Sunday was a rather queer day for us, especially the forenoon, as there were no divine services because of the influenza. Then on the 19th, just a couple of days later, he wrote, The Spanish influenza seems to be the rage all over the country. In the letter that I received from home last Tuesday, Dad wrote that Brother Henry's whole family was in bed and that in most homes, three or four were down. At home, however, all seemed to be well yet. There are quite a number of cases in the city here, and all schools, theaters, and churches are closed. And then on December 11th, he wrote, I consider myself exceptionally lucky since I was exposed to to the disease as much as any. The gentleman seated in front of me in the classroom was there all forenoon of that Friday, but immediately after dinner, he was removed to the hospital. Then during the following night, three were removed out of my bedroom while I slept on unconcerned. Oh my guys. I might not have been here today. Right. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Goodness. He had so it was all over everywhere, and the the city shut down. The seminary mm-hmm. apparently didn't shut down fast enough, um, but the church is <laughs> shut down. But despite that, the church obviously didn't end in 1918. It's still here today, and it won't end now. So in the meantime, let's continue to look back at the example of all those 
Christian brothers and sisters who have come before us as we try to sort out how best to respond to our current crisis. So to end the quiz, I have one more quote from Lyman's article. I know I'm reading, I found so many cool tidbits this time. <laughs> so go read it in its entirety, but here's how he closes. He says, be eager to sacrifice for others, even at the cost of your own life. Obsessively maintain a scrupulous hygienic routine to avoid affecting others. Maintain a lifeline to a meaningful human community that can care for your mind and soul. These are the guiding stars that have shepherded Christians through countless plagues for millennia. As the world belatedly wakes up to the fact that the age of epidemics is not over, these ancient ideas still have modern relevance. Mm, so true. So congratulations. I don't think I can say any of us are winners today. Sorry. No. Nah. We're still not together. <laughs> No. Yeah. So, Sarah, you lose. Uh, Aaron, you lose. Bree, you lose. And, and I lose, too. And there's a difference between not saying we're winners and flat out saying we lose. We've lost. We've lost. Walk it off. Walk it off. Walk it off, I guess. But despite that, you all did very well on the on the trivia challenge. So good job. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not as fun as Mardi Gras, but I will Still say this: as, what as is? just to put a nice little bow on this, because it it does kind of end in sort of a sad place. But I am so we talked about this a little bit last week, but I am so thrilled about how our church is stepping up in this whole in this whole mess of things, and th it's true. Plagues are not going to be anything new as long as the earth exists and Jesus comes back and takes care of all that. But as long as there are plagues and epidemics, the church is going to be there stepping up to do work in the name of Jesus. And I think that is something that we can all be confident in. Amen. It's who we are. It's what we do. Like this is, we've been doing this for 2000 years. We'll keep doing it in this the name of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not the first rodeo. <laughs> there, there's so much to learn uh, from the the church fathers and uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ who have gone before us over the last 2,000 years. Obviously, this will not, unless Jesus comes back first, this will not be the last pandemic that ever hits the world. There will be others. There will be more Christians to take care of people until Christ returns, and then we won't have any more pandemics, and it'll be amazing. Uh, until that time, Yay! though. Find our podcast at kfuo.org slash Lutheran Ladies Lounge or on your favorite podcasting app. Bree mentioned the the one we did last week. It was all about socially social, being socially distant. So so nobody's worried. We are not actually in studio. We are all in our own homes. We have pictures to prove it with lots of Facebook filters. <laughs> Um, but you can go listen to that and maybe get some comfort from uh, from us kind of uh, talking about our own experiences. Also, join our Facebook group. Uh, find us in the Lutheran Ladies Lounge on Facebook. You're listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm taking a rest break. <laughs> and this is not our first rodeo. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
Views and opinions expressed on the Lutheran Ladies' Lounge podcast may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO Radio, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Ladies' Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available at kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Join our community on Facebook in the Lutheran Ladies' Lounge. Andy, if you're there, we're done. Oh. <laughs> With the first one. <laughs> <laughs>